0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome and happy Father's Day uh, to all of you as you celebrate uh, with your fathers uh, today. And uh, what I wanted to do uh, this morning, we're actually going to be finishing a series we began last week, but uh, we've been talking about how uh, today we're live streaming the entire service. So everything that you're seeing this morning is being done live. Uh, That may not mean a lot to you, but I I got my uh, crowd cam over here. So I'm just going to follow me over here. I got an extra camera just because I wanted you to be able to see uh, what we've been working on as a staff. here we got Andrew running a couple of uh, nice cameras here, a couple camera feeds. We got Raya running all our slides and PowerPoints. We got Todd's over here running our camera switcher. Our band is over there ready to, for the message, and we got Brian York mixing all the audio for the online service. Some of you might have heard some clicks and cues. All of that is what the band hears as they lead worship, and it's uh, it's a really really important part of making all this stuff work. So I'll set up my crowd cam so that during the service, if we want we can switch to the crowd cam and see how the crowd's doing. So this is fun. Uh, for the last, uh, whatever it's been, 12, 13, 14 weeks, I've been pre-recording sermons to in front of a camera, and now I get a small audience um, in the audience. Yes. Let's go to the crowd. Let's go, let's, go let's go to the crowd cam. Let's go to the crowd cam. Look how excited they are. Yes. That's awesome. So... If you're uh, if you're tuned in with us, I would like to invite you to go ahead and grab a Bible. This is really important this morning. Uh, sometimes people come to church and they're like, sorry, Pastor, I don't have my Bible. I left it at home. Uh, today you can't use that excuse. Go grab it and open it up to Luke chapter 15, where we're going to be this morning. We're going to be walking through this entire chapter of Luke 15, and we're going to be looking at something that I think is extremely important, both as we celebrate Father's Day, but for every single person uh, who wants to take steps closer to Jesus. Last week, as I said, we kicked off a series called Keeping Score. And in this particular uh, message series, it's really two sermons. The first one, we talked about failure. And I talked uh, last week about how in the church, when I was growing up, the, the message that I heard coming from the sermons was, aim high, aim for holiness, righteousness, do the right thing, honor God. But the second part is where I think we need to reconsider things. They said, don't fail. At least that's the message I heard. And so I felt like there was no option to fail. And and so whenever I failed or when other people failed in the church, they ran from God instead of towards him. And so I encouraged you last week as we talked about failing forward, that the the scriptures actually teach that we should aim high. We should aim for righteousness. We should aim to be like our heavenly father. But when we fail, we know exactly where to run. We, We run to him. We fail in a forward direction. So today I want to focus in on this idea of a scorecard. And as I mentioned last week, every single person has a scorecard. So within you is some kind of scorecard, and that scorecard tells you how you're doing, whether you're succeeding or not. And for some people, uh, their scorecard might be, for some of our students, it might be their grades, right? So maybe you're an A student and you think to yourself, I'm, I'm a success because I have an A. Or maybe you've failed and you'd say, no, I'm a, I'm a failure, I'm an F. Or maybe for some of you, it's it's financial, right? So maybe maybe a green dollar sign equals success for you. Or a red dollar sign means failure for you. And so we all have a gauge within us that we use, and it might be uh, financial, it might be relational, it might be how many likes, how many followers, how many friends, how your family looks, all of these types of things we use as an internal scorecard. And a scorecard is this, a scorecard is a tool that helps us measure achievement or progress. We all have one, as I said. We all have a, a dashboard for our lives with all the gauges, and if you get in a car, there's a speedometer, and an RPM gauge, and a gas gauge, and a temperature gauge, and they allow you to measure your progress. They ma- allow you to measure what's going on. Uh, when I was about 17 years old, my parents got a, a new car, well, It was a newer for us. It was a Subaru Legacy station wagon. And uh, this particular car, I remember that one of the first times I drove it, I was heading down the 401, which for those that don't know, the 401 is a 100 kilometer an hour speed limit. And I was driving down the highway in this little Subaru, and I remember looking at the dash, and it said that I was going 98, and I'm passing all these cars, and I'm thinking to myself, why is everyone driving so slow? Are are there police around? Like, is there an emergency? What's going on? And then, about 10 minutes into my drive, it dawned on me. My parents' car was made for the United States, and (laughs) I was doing 98 miles per hour, and it was like this moment where the light came on, it was like, oh no, I'm reading the gauge wrong. And I wonder sometimes uh, how many of us may have a moment where we realize we're actually using the wrong scorecard or we're reading it incorrectly. It's a scary idea. In fact, Jesus said this. He said, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world and then lose his soul? So in one aspect, you're a total raving success, right? You've gained the whole world. A plus for you. But when it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to eternal things, you get an F and you lose your soul. Imagine that feeling. And so what I want to talk today is about changing the scorecard. And I think for many of us, we've had changing the scorecard moments, and many of us maybe today will have a change the scorecard moment. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I was watching a documentary on Netflix, and it was all about Garth Brooks. Now, when I was in high school, Garth Brooks was a big deal. And when I was in high school, I played a lot of his music. I followed uh, his career. And when they released this documentary, I thought, this is fantastic. I started watching it, and one of the things that really stood out to me was at the pinnacle of his career. So Garth Brooks has become, at this point in his career, was in the the 90s, I think, he he becomes the top-selling solo artist of all time, more than Elvis. He is winning all the awards. He's touring the world. He's making more money than he could ever imagine. He's the most in-demand music artist in the world. And he holds a press conference. And I might even get emotional just thinking about this. He sits down in front of the press, and all the cameras are there, and he says, two years ago my marriage failed, and I have three little girls at home, and I barely know them. I'm out. And he walks away from the music industry. He walks away from the fame, the accolades. And what that was for him was a scorecard moment, right? He goes, I am a success in everyone's eyes except my girls. And he decides that he's going to fix it. And he heads home. He ends his career. And he goes, you can watch the documentary and all that takes place. But I call that a reading the scorecard wrong moment. And for him, he decided to change the scorecard that he was using for his life. And I want to encourage you and me to do the same today. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 15 and we're going to actually walk through all of it, but I want to focus specifically on the first three verses because they set the stage for everything else that follows. Here's what it says in Luke 15 and I know you all have it in front of you. Here's what it says in Luke 15 verse 1. It says now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. There were a group of people coming to Jesus that everyone would consider to be failures. Okay? They literally get a giant F. They're tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors were viewed as turncoats and traitors to their own people. Sinners was a bucket for thieves and prostitutes and people uh, that the the community did not accept. And so you've got this this bucket of people that we would consider failures. And they're coming to Jesus. And Jesus is not only receiving them, he's eating with them, he's befriending them. And this is extremely confusing because we have another group of people in the second verse. And it says, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. Now, the Pharisees uh, were the the rule keepers. Okay, Pharisees, if Pharisees were alive today during COVID-19, they would have a a, a medical mask, they would have a face shield, they would have full gown gloves in their own car by themselves. Like they wanted to keep every rule to the T. They were rule followers and, and the people of that day and the people in those communities viewed them as absolute successes. The scribes were very, very well-educated men who hand-wrote copies of the Scriptures for other people. So, so you have these two groups of people. You have the tax collectors and sinners, the failures. And then you have these people who the world would view as absolute successes, who are doing the right things, who are going through all the right motions and producing great things. And you have these two groups of people interacting. And here's what it says. It says they were grumbling, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. the the, the successes had a problem with Jesus hanging out with the failures because Jesus was treating people who by all accounts were failures. He was treating them like his friends. He was treating them as if they were actually valuable, but they couldn't be valuable because the scorecard that the scribes and Pharisees were using was one of performance and the tax collectors and sinners didn't measure up. And so here's what happens next in verse three. It says, so he, Jesus told them this parable. Now, I've read this chapter so many times in my life, and I've never noticed this. He says he told them this parable, singular. And what follows is actually in our Bible, it'll say the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son. And so we think there are three parables, but the author, Luke, says these are all one parable. And a parable is a story that makes a single point, right? So a modern-day parable would be uh, the boy who cried wolf. Some of you heard that story. And the parable of the, of, the, of the boy who cried wolf really says this, trust erodes. That's the, the point of the story. And so when you hear it and you think about it, you go, oh, trust erodes. And so the question I have for you is what exactly is the point Jesus is trying to make through these three illustrations that are all, according to the author, one parable. If you've got your Bibles open, we're going to look at verse 4 first. And I'm just going to jump around, so I want you to have your Bibles open. But in verse 4 it says this, Jesus begins his first illustration in this way. Which one of you having a hundred sheep? And I've highlighted the word having because I think it's the key word in the whole chapter. You go, what what are you talking about? Well, he says, which one of you having? This whole chapter is about ownership. This whole chapter is about ownership. Which one of you having a hundred sheep? So he says, you, if you go to the crowd cam, I'm pointing at the people, all right? Which which of you, they're all looking starry-eyed, okay? Which one of you, if you had a hundred sheep and you lost one, wouldn't go after it and find it? That's the point. And the reason why they would go, you can bring it back here. The reason why they would go is because it's theirs. Whether their 99 sheep are safe in the barn and one is lost in the woods, you're going to go find it because it's your sheep. Because it's yours, it has great value to you. That, whether it's lost or found doesn't matter. It's your sheep. So you go find your sheep. The next illustration, he says in verse 8, what woman having 10 silver coins, they're her coins, Having ten silver coins. And she loses one. She's got nine of them in her purse. And one of them is lost. And so what does she do? She searches the whole house. And when she finds it, she celebrates the fact that she found her lost coin. That coin, even though it was lost, was just as valuable as the coins that were found. Do you you see what I'm saying? The having is so important. And then verse 11, he starts the third illustration that we're going to spend a bit of time in. And it says, there was a man who had, see that word? He had two sons. This isn't the story of a prodigal son. It's actually the story of two sons that a father had. And the big point of these three illustrations is simply this. The value of the sheep was not determined by its performance. Lost or found. The value of the coins were not determined by whether they were lost or found. Right? If you have a toonie and it's in your pocket, that's great. And it falls down the crack of your seat. You know, down underneath the, the little lever. It's that impossible place to find. It's the worst. And it's still just as valuable to you. So you get out some long stick and you try digging it out. And the point of the third parable is the same. The value of the sons is not determined by their performance. And you know this intuitively. You understand that this is true. If you're a father, if you're a mother right now and you have more than one child sitting with you watching this service, here's what I want you to do. Hug your favorite kid. It's awkward right everyone's like no no don't do that don't don't and the reason why we don't hug our favorite kid is because we're not supposed to have favorites we love them even though they're different we love them even though one might succeed and one might fail we love them equally because their value their value is not based on their performance their value is based on their identity that there are children there are sons and daughters and that is the point that jesus is going to try to make throughout this chapter and throughout these three illustrations so here's what i want to do today I want to talk about this idea that your value is not determined by what you do, but it is determined by whose you are, who you belong to. And, and this this is radical. This will change the way you live your life. It will change the way you treat people, the way you view yourself, if you really grab a hold of this today. You know, there was at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus actually um, makes this statement that has always scared me. And in this statement, he literally says um, that, on the final day of judgment, right, that at the end of time, he says that people will come to him and say, Lord, Lord, our master, look at all the things. We prophesied in your name. We did great and mighty works. We did all this stuff for you and in your name. And Jesus says, on that day, I'll turn to them and say, depart from me, I never knew you. Here's what happens. People will be coming to Jesus and they'll be like, look at, look, Jesus, look at our performance. We've, we've done good things. We attended church. We did all these wonderful things. We got an A. And Jesus will say, no, you were using the wrong scorecard because God is using a relational scorecard, not a performance scorecard. So here's what we're going to do. I want to encourage you to change the scorecard. Change. That's the title of my sermon today. Change the scorecard. Because guess what? God is using a scorecard. You're using a scorecard. But the question is, are we using the same one? And so I want to encourage all of us to change the scorecard. Let's jump into the text and see this play out. In verse 17, um, before, we, before we look at it, let me give you a bit of backstory. Uh, the parable of the, the father with the two sons. The, the younger son is rebellious, and he decides, he asks for his inheritance early, and he takes the money from his, from his father, and he, and he leaves. He says, I don't need you, I don't want you, and he goes off to a far country, and it says that he spent all his money. He spent it on wine, women, song, just blew it, doing exactly what he wanted to do. And in the end, he ends up broke, he ends up alone, and in a pig pen. And in that moment, he realizes, hey, um, this is not where I want to be. This is not where I thought I would end up. And, and, and I want to pick it up in verse 17, where he kind of comes to himself. He has a moment where he realizes that he's, he's wrong. And it says this in verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. This young man had this moment where he... He had clarity. He just realized, hey, I ran away from my father, but now that I look back and reflect with a clear head, I realize that my father had great character and love and that it would even be better for me to be a servant in my father's household than to be far from my father. He's, he's actually recognizing something about his father's character. And I've had moments like this because when I was a teenager, I, li- I grew up in a Christian home and my parents were often very strict and uh, there were a lot of things I wasn't allowed to do and it made me mad, and I thought, they're ruining my life, they want to control me, they're mean. They were putting up fences to protect me. And as an older man, as I look back, I think, hey, my dad, who hopefully is watching today, and my mom, they, they didn't do it perfectly. Nobody does. They didn't necessarily put the fence in the right spot. Sometimes the fence was too low, and I jumped over it. And sometimes it was too high, and I fell off it. But they loved me enough to put one there. And I know that all of you watching could honestly say you don't have perfect parents either, but today's a fantastic day to stop and think about the love that they demonstrated through their care and concern. And, and, and even as you look back on their failures, you can begin to thank them and have gratitude that they loved you enough to be there. And so he has this moment where he comes to himself. And then it says in verse 18, he, he, "Okay, this is where he begins to practice and prepare to return to his father. He says, I will arise and go to my father. This is what I talked about last Sunday, failing forward. He realizes he's messed up. He's realized he's gone wrong. And instead of staying away from his father, and let, instead of letting guilt and shame keep him away, he says, I will return to my father. And he gets up. The righteous falls seven times and gets up again. And he gets up and he goes to move towards his father. And here's what he's going to say. I have sinned against heaven. And before you, he's going to repent. He's going to demonstrate humility. And here's what he says next. And this tells me that he is using the wrong scorecard. He says, I am not worthy of, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. In his mind, he looked at his own performance and what he had done, and he went, I'm not even worthy to be called a son. He's using a performance scorecard, right? And uh, when the Pharisees were listening to Jesus tell this illustration, they probably thought, of course he's not worthy. He's he's, He's a sinner. He's messed up. He shouldn't be allowed to go home. But the story continues. It doesn't end there. It says this in verse 20, he arose, Oh, sorry, verse 19. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. His big plan is that I'm going to go back to my dad and say, I know I can't be your son because I don't deserve it. I'm a failure, but maybe you would allow me to be a servant. And then it says this. He arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now, the Pharisees, who believed that they were an A+, listening to the story thought, this isn't right. The father shouldn't be doing it. The father should be like, you're dead to me, son. You cannot come near me. That's what the father should have said if he was using a performance scorecard. But he wasn't. So he runs out and he embraced him and kissed him. And verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And before he can even ask if he can be a servant, the father cuts him off. And the father says in verse 22, to his servants bring quickly the best robe and put it on him the robe would have represented his family identity they put a ring on his hand it would have been the signet of their family crest so he could buy and sell as a son and they put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this here's what he says notice these words this my son was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found and they began to celebrate It's powerful. The father, in spite of his failure, continues to call him and treat him as if he is his son because he is. The father's using a totally different scorecard than the prodigal son. You may be wondering, well, what about the other son? I thought there were two sons. Yep, there was. Here's what it says. In verse 29, um, the older son, when he hears the party and he finds out his brother came home, he will absolutely not even come in. He'll have nothing to do with the whole situation. He's angry and bitter. And in verse 29, we see his response. And notice this. Look, he says, these many years, I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Dad, I've been the perfect son. I've done everything you've asked. I'm an A. I'm a success. Yet, you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. He's literally saying, look, I am an A son, And this F son has come home and you've thrown a party for him. Where's my party? Why have I never had a party? I deserve a party. Both sons, both the failure and the success are using the wrong scorecard. They're viewing their their own performance as a means to evaluate their right or, or their lack of right to become a son of God. And that's not the way it works. And that's the point that Jesus is trying to make. Look what he says in verse 30. He says, but then when this son of yours, he doesn't even, he's not like, and when my brother came home, you threw a party. He's like, when this son of yours, he won't even identify as his brother. I think it's funny because sometimes I've been known to do that at home when one of our kids is doing something really bad. I'll turn to my wife and I'll be like, your daughter just said, or you want to know what your son did. He won't even identify him as his brother. He is so, and here's the point, I guess is that when we use performance as a scorecard, I'm an A and you're an F, it actually not only drives a wedge between us and our Heavenly Father, it drives a wedge between us and the people around us. It can drive a wedge in our family, with our kids, with our, with our spouse. When we're just, uh, I'm an F, they're an A, I'm an a we're judging one another based on our performance and evaluating each other like that, it is extremely, extremely dangerous. And that's what the older son does. Verse 31 Notice what the father says. He's using a different scorecard. Here's what he says. Son. Again, he calls him son. They're both his sons. You are always with me. In my mind, the scorecard that God's using is one of relationship and presence. He's like, you are always with me. And the greatest gift a father can give to any son is his presence. You're always with me. And all that I have, all that mine is yours. The father's not using the performance scorecard. He's like, oh, you're an A, he's an F. I don't care, you're my sons. And he treats them as such. Verse 32, he says, It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. If anyone's listening to me today online and you believe that your relationship with God is based on your performance, I want you to know you're using the wrong scorecard. It's not the way God works. If you would say to yourself in your heart honestly that God could never love me because I've fill in the blank, you're using a performance scorecard and you're letting fear and shame drive you away from your father who loves you. If you're listening today and you say God could never love them because they fill in the blank, you're still using a performance scorecard. But instead of fear and shame, it's judgment that you're using. If you would say God loves me and he must love me, Because I fill in the blank, you're still using a performance scorecard. This time, it's pride that's ruling the day. But here's what I think Jesus wanted us to understand and what I want for each and every one of you. When you can fully say, God loves me because I belong to him, because he made me, because he chose me, because he first loved me, then that is a relationship-based valuation, and it produces in us humility, and it produces in us gratitude towards our God and towards our Father. You are using a scorecard. God is using a scorecard. Are we using the same one? That's the question I want us to consider today. You know, with the little bit of time I have left, I want to address Dad's because this is Father's Day. So let me give a couple words of encouragement. See, I've, just, I've found that Mother's Day is often an extremely encouraging day. It's like, Moms, we love you. You're the best, Moms. Keep it up. You love us. You're sweet. And then for some reason on Father's Day, the sermons usually sound like, um, pick up your socks, you know, get in the game. Come on, Dad. It feels more like a, a chastisement. But today I want to give you two things. If you're a father, and I don't care if your kid's three months old or 30 years old or 50, Two things that every father can do, regardless of your situation. Two things that every father can do today and in the weeks ahead that will make a massive impact in your children's lives. Here's the first one, super simple. Be present. Be present. When I was in high school, um, there were courses they called bird courses. And a bird course was a course that, like, if you just showed up, you passed. And, And I feel like as hard as being a father is... I think it's kind of the same. If you just keep showing up, you're going to mess up. You're going to fail. You're not going to be perfect. Quit, quit measuring your performance and just keep showing up. Be present because there's no greater gift a father or a mother could give to their children than just to be there, to be present in their lives. And uh, sometimes for me as a father, I'm tempted to, to believe that I have to have all the answers, <laughs> that I have to be able to fix everything. And sometimes just my presence is what my children, my wife, my wife, Uh, need most dads you literally have the power to communicate value to your children by just being present Uh, I'm gonna try not to get emotional but I want to swing back to that Garth Brooks story Uh, if you watch the documentary and I highly encourage you to do so Garth Brooks um, left the music industry and for the next 15 years saw his three girls every single day and devoted his life to spending time with them, which is amazing. Not all of us can do that, but, but he did that. And they're interviewing his grown daughters who are young adults. And all three of them are literally tears streaming down their face because they're like, we didn't know how big a deal our dad really was until we got older. But now that we do, we realize what he gave up to be with us. And there's this moment where you just see it in their face. It's like, he valued us more than all of that. And that's what we want to communicate to our kids. And we can do that by just being present. You don't, you don't have to give your kids the latest iPhone. You don't have to give them a, a trip to Disneyland. Just show up. Just be present. It's the greatest gift you can give. And so no matter where you're at, maybe you can't see your kids every day, but when you have the opportunity, be present in their lives. And some of you may be thinking to yourself, hey, I, I never had a dad that was present for me. I want to remind you that we have a heavenly father, a God who has said this, that I will never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. Because the amazing thing is, is that we can't love our children and we can't love others unconditionally until we know that we're loved unconditionally. Once we've received it from somewhere, we have something to give. And so I want to encourage you to change your scorecard and understand that God loves you so you can love your family well. Here's the second thing. So be present. The second one is use your words. <laughs> use your words. We always used to tell that to our little kids, you know, and they'd be like, yeah! like use your words and i'm going to tell all the dads right now use your words it's starting to sound like a chastisement sorry i'm going sideways here use your words like speak up and and i know this isn't the case in every home but in many homes uh kids would say mom was always telling me i look good and i was doing good and encourage me and you can do it honey and dad was often silent and for many of us growing up we were looking and searching for dad's approval For his blessing, for his affirmation. Yes, you're worth it. Yes, you're good. And so it is so important, dads, that we use our words to encourage our family, to encourage our kids to speak up, to not be silent. Because our silence can literally be deafening. And I've talked to people in their 50s and 60s, and they're still running around trying to approval of their father who's not even alive. Because our words as dads are so powerful. They they're literally, they have the power to breathe life into our kids. I've met people in their 50s, and, and they have the encouragement of their dads from 30 years ago that's wind in their sails for the rest of their life, and others who never heard those words, and it's like a boat anchor that they're dragging behind them for the rest of their life. So, so it's so easy. Use your mouth and speak and give life and bless your kids and tell them how much they're worth to you and tell them what you see in them. And I guarantee you, It'll weigh a 1,000 pounds in one way or the other. So use your words and speak up. Use your words to shape the scorecard that they use. Because your kids, just like us, would grow up trying to determine whether they're valued based on their performance. And you have the opportunity as a dad and as a mom to say, you are loved and valued because you are mine. And nothing will ever change that. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, you can always run home. You can't always live in our home. But I've got to make that caveat. But you can always come home because you're loved and valued. I'll close with this, this little idea about the scorecard that there's a lie in our culture that all of us are tempted to believe, and it's simply this, that what you do determines who you are. Tax collectors and sinners coming to Jesus. That's what they do. That's who they, that's who they are. But Jesus didn't view them that way. The truth is that who you are determines what you do. Am I saying it doesn't matter what you do, God loves you no matter what? Yes, but it still matters what you do. The point is why you're doing it. You see, the prodigal son who came home realized that his scorecard didn't matter to his father. His father threw it away, that he was loved, and I guarantee you that transformed him. I guarantee you he was not the same person. I guarantee you that he lived the rest of his life seeking to please and honor his father because he realized how much his father loved him. And so we want to be a people who seek to honor and do what's right and live for God because he first loved us. Because we have a father who says, you're valued and I love you and I'll never leave you or forsake you. And so no matter where you are today, I want to encourage you today to change your scorecard. I guarantee you, if you stop and take an assessment of your heart, you're using a scorecard that's somehow based on performance and we need to change it. And my hope is that maybe someone who's watching this for the first time who has never surrendered this idea of performance and relied upon the grace and love of their Heavenly Father, that you would do so today. And so as we close, I'm going to close in prayer. I want to pray for the dads. I want to pray for those who are hearing this message and you know something that needs to change. And uh, I want to pray with you and for you right now. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for every person listening to the sound of my voice. Thank you for all the dads who are tuned in this morning with their families. And it's so easy, I know as a dad, it's so easy to just look at my performance and go, man, I missed it here and here and these opportunities. Lord, I pray that we would just throw that scorecard out and just say, I'm going to be present. I'm going to receive the love of my Heavenly Father. I'm going to pour it out lavishly on my family. God, for those who, who don't have a father with them today, I pray that they would sense your presence as, as, as their Heavenly Father, that you are always with them and everything that you have is theirs. God, help us. To, to take this performance scorecard we've been using and to throw it away and fully embrace the grace and love of our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. We'll see you next week.